Hello, and welcome to the Last Question Podcast, the Quick Question Edition. Our interviewers always bring up so many fascinating concepts and ideas that we can't squeeze them all into one episode. This mini-series will explore some standalone questions that didn't quite fit, but are still fascinating. Today, we're talking to technology ethicist and journalist Stephanie Hare about the panopticon of modern life. You mentioned um, a fear of things like the killer robots, the killer robots at the uh, the end of the world coming to destroy us all. But a lot of uh, the things that we really should be fearing about technology creep up on us in ways that aren't always predicted. Um, but one thing that is predicted and is uh, it has arrived in society, but in a different way that may not be recognized by a lot of people is something you mentioned in your book, the panopticon, the structure devised by Jeremy Bentham. Um, as an illustration of the potential end game of state and corporate surveillance if we don't change course. Um, so it's really interesting. We often think about this as being a top-down phenomenon, but social media has led us to creating almost uh, an inadvertent panopticon. People and faces are captured in photos, Instagram stories, TikTok videos on a daily basis and without us even knowing as well if we're in the background of someone else's video. The sheer scale of the data being captured in such content is just really huge and would actually need an artificial intelligence uh, to protect people's privacy through blurring or redacting things in these images because there's no way a person can go through it all and do that themselves. Do you think there is a way out of this that requires better safeguarding technology to guard against the pitfalls of this ever-evolving intrusive technology that is one of these things we should be fearing, but it's crept up on us in a secret way. I mean, there's a couple of ways of approaching it. So like the first would be is do we actually feel safer living in this digital or just let's just call it the panopticon, um, which is going to be the combination of all the cameras that are watching everybody everywhere, some of which have facial recognition technology enabled on them, um, having police that have that, having all of your social media accounts, um, having geotechnology, sorry, geo. I would say geofencing technology um, and geotracking technology on your phone, right? So your phone is just like the biggest narc ever. It's like constantly ratting you out. Um, obviously, there's a lot of trade-offs for that. Like it works for a reason and there's a lot of things we get from it, but there's the whole thing of like, is it enough? Uh, and like, are we getting enough for that trade-off? Or do we think I want it in some cases, but not others? So do I feel safer? I mean, is crime down in the past 20 years because of this? Like, you know, like we have to actually interrogate, does it do what it was supposed to do? Then there's the, is it, if, even if it does do what it's supposed to do, is it still worth the trade-off? Like, hooray, the operation was a success, but the patient died. <laughs> like, you know, there's like, the, you know, that philosophical question. And then third is like, are there other ways that we could get the outcome we want without going down this like, digital panopticon route? And, you know, I don't, unless you are a small to medium enter enterprise or a sole trader, I don't know who needs to use Instagram, for example. Like, I'm not saying Instagram isn't fun, so you might want to use it, but I'm talking where people who are like, if I don't have the ability to use Instagram, my ability as a citizen, as a consumer, as an employer or whatever goes. So I would say most, I would say most people are not using Instagram in that way. There's an argument that a lot of those companies provide like internet services in countries that don't have good internet infrastructure. That's a great example of going, okay, cool. So solve that problem 
the answer to that problem isn't more Facebook. Uh, it's sort your internet infrastructure out and like, what do we need to do to make that possible? Because otherwise you get into accusations of like digital colonialism, right? So like, it's just, it's a total mess. So I think it's that it's like, you know, do you need facial recognition in schools? I would arguably say no. I don't think it should ever be used near anyone under the age of 18 or in a like child environment. There are ways that you can check who is in and out of the school uh, in the United States where I come from, like facial recognition technology would not stop school shootings. Half of them are being done by kids who go to the school. So like, right, like it's, and there's all the research to back that up. That just, it's like a, it's a sort of thing that gets sold to make people feel better because what they're not really doing is solving the problem of why we have so many guns and so many people who are you know, so unhappy or miserable or disturbed that they feel that that's a viable answer to their problem in life is to go shoot up their colleagues or their friends. Baffling to me that you would think a camera is going to stop that. Um, and of course it isn't. It's because there's a whole political debate behind it about funding in the second amendment. Each country has their version of that crazy town where technology is being offered for a social problem. And I think we just have to, again, as citizens, as parents, as teachers, as consumers um, and as employees or employers, like to be like, what kind of a, what kind of a vibe am I creating in my kids' school or in my workplace environment? Like, do I need to be surveying all of my employees? Like, what does that say about what trust is like in this place? You know, do I want to work in a place like that if I'm an employee? So I just think it's the goal in the book when I set out to write it, and I maintain this now, is not to get anybody to agree with me about the answers. Like I might have different answers than you're going to have about all sorts of technology ethics questions. It's to start the process of asking, because that's what we're going to need to do in a liberal democracy, is we have to ask, do we want facial recognition technology being used by the police in our town? Yes or no? If yes, under what conditions? Is there anything that's out of bounds? And then we do it and everybody's clear about it. That's not what's happening in London now. Now the, the London Met just like does whatever the hell it wants. Um, genuinely, like they're leading policy on this. The parliament has completely abdicated. It's very strange. So like, does the average Londoner know that? No. If they hear this, are they going to like take to the streets? Also no, I suspect, right? Because they've got other stuff on their plate. So how do you get them to care? You can't just necessarily show them like, here's the worst case scenario. I'm going to show you the West of China. Look at these people who have been incarcerated. They have no civil rights because most British people are like, we're not China and we never will be, right? And Americans do, like it's the same thing. So as much as you can show them a worst case scenario of a panopticon society, I think most people will be like, mm, that seems a bit far. So instead you might have to be like, okay, we don't seem like a panopticon society, but let me actually show you, as I tried to do in the book, these are all the different ways this technology is already being used here in Britain legally or just not illegally because there's no law in place at all. And here's how it compares to other countries around the world. How are you feeling about that now? Right? So then people are like, Oh God, I've never thought about that before. And whether or not they'll do something about it is different. I mean, I'm hoping they will. And I can say so far, at least from my colleagues and I who work in this area, we've had interest from the devolved governments. I've spoken in, in parliament about it. I've spoken with lots of companies about it. And I'm talking to a lot of young technologists who are like, thank God this book exists because we needed this. We're not taught this. And I wasn't taught this when I started working as a technologist either. So like even just having the conversation will put those questions in people's minds, whatever answer they come up with is their affair. And I'll be very keen to hear it.
it sounds like we need people to uh, understand and know about the problems, fear them a bit, but also be optimistic that they can do something to change it. I do worry actually that um, for young people growing up where they're so used to being watched all the time, that becomes such a normal part of their, rea their reality. They don't even think of it as something that needs to be changed. It's just like a natural part of the world. Um, I do wonder how, yeah, it would change the psychology of young people growing up. Thanks for listening to this quick question. Make sure to listen to the full episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy them, leave us a review. Thanks and see you next time. Thank you.